I hope you have your outline today and you will follow along. We're in a series that we're calling The Journey of a Lifetime. And this morning we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. I know that you know that if you've been around churches very long or you know much about God's Word. Why do godly parents have kids that go haywire? I don't know the answer to that. I suspect there are a lot of answers to that. But we see it a lot. In fact, we see it in godly parents in the Bible. It happens real soon. It began with Adam and Noah, Zorah and Eli and David, just to name a few. And they're all through the word like that. Kids who just took off in a wrong direction. And this morning we're going to look at this passage in Luke, the 15th chapter. A passage that I know that you are aware of and you have read before. It does not tell us why kids rebel. But it does tell us what to do with rebellious sons and daughters. I suspect that we all know some. Maybe we have been one. But I want us to look at that. We're going to read one verse right now. We'll be looking at all of them. But I'm going to ask you to stand. Luke, verse 15, as I read the 24th verse. You listen to what God's Word says. Luke 15, verse 24. For this my son was dead... You know what dead means. He was dead. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He's brought back from the dead. He was lost and is found. And when he was found, they began to celebrate. Oh my goodness. What a time of celebration when a child comes home. Oh my goodness. Would you pray with me? Father, just as you dealt with a prodigal nation, Israel, and you brought Israel back to you, you spoke words of kindness to that nation. I pray that today you would speak words of kindness through your spirit to those who are prodigals. Father, I pray that you would teach us and we would learn those who have slipped away from that love relationship that it's not keeping rules, but it's a relationship of love. And from that relationship, as grace is worked into our lives, We are filled with love for you. Oh, my Father. Father, I want to get personal right now. I pray for prodigal souls who are part of Grapevine Baptist Church to 
be brought to the place where they present themselves to you as alive from the dead. Oh God, I ask you to do that in this very place. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are three stages that all prodigals go through most of the time. And I want us to look at these stages, and if you have or you have been a prodigal, you'll recognize that. The first stage is the stage of rebellion. I hope you write these in as we go through them. In every child and parent relationship, there is a power struggle. Have you noticed that? And it starts earlier than we want it to start. For the first few weeks, when you bring that child home to your house, you probably have 100% control. But it's not long until it begins to change. And they want more and more control, and they want it before we're willing to give it to them. And there is that struggle that goes on. Look at verses 11 and 12 of Luke 15. And he said, this is Christ speaking, a parable that he's telling. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Let me pause right there. What you don't see in the English, you'll really miss. You know what this son is saying? I just soon you be dead. I don't want to wait on my share of the inheritance. That's how much he cared about it. Look at the rest of it. And he divided, the father divided his property between them. He had another brother, as you know. This is a classic confrontation. If I can do as I please and go where I want to go and I don't have to answer to anybody, life will be great. And that's what he is saying. I'm fed up with taking care of these sheep and being on this place. I want to take off. I don't know how old he was. He could have been 17, 18. He could have been older, a little younger maybe. God doesn't tell us that, but that was his attitude. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. He heads off for the bright lights of Jerusalem. I believe he's probably cruising down the boulevard in his Camelac, and he's doing whatever he wants to do, and there's nobody he has to answer to. And he's having the time of his life. This is what he has wanted all along. This he finally has. Life could not be any better. What a place to be. Let me just put this as a footnote. Kids do not necessarily have to move out of your house and still be distant from you. 
Today they have their own pad, their own transportation, they can do anything they want to, and you maybe even made it where they can walk in, they don't have to come through the family's living quarters to get to where they stay. The prodigal son is an example of this. It's exactly what happened. What do you do when your child says, I'm splitting, I'm getting out of here, I, won't, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to do my own thing. Well, let me give you some things that parents are to do. Hope you write these down. There's three of them. First of all, you let them go. You heard me right. You let them go. Verse 13 says, The younger son took a journey into a far country. I want you to notice that the father didn't chase him. He might have felt like he wanted to, but he didn't chase him. He just let him go. That's what he did. He released him. He released him. From birth, we're preparing our kids to be on their own and to let them go. And probably one of the hardest things in parenting is to know when to let them go, when to turn them loose, and when to hold on. It is a problem. When do you let them go? What are they going to do? How can you make this like this? Let me ask you, if your son came to you and he said, I'm splitting out of here. And I want my share of the money, of my inheritance, and I want it now, and I'm going to waste it. What would you say to him? No way, Jose. Maybe you'd say, you can't even handle your own allowance, let alone anything else. And you begin to understand this father, what he's going through. It's interesting to me, let me say this right here, that we use money... To keep our kids where we want them a lot of times. That's not a compliment in case you didn't get that. Now this request seems foolish to us. No doubt this father tried to sit down and reason and talk with his son. But the evidence is that he did not get through to him at all. He was determined to leave. And let me say something. There's a time that when you hold on tighter, they'll just explode. You have to let them go. You have to let them go. Let me give you a second thing. Not only do you let them go, you let them make their own mistakes. You let them make their own mistakes. Look at verse 13 again. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. At first, it's great. He parted all he wanted to. He was a party animal. He tried everything that was forbidden at home. He could do the things that he couldn't do at home. He throws out all of the parental guidance he had been given and all the value system that had been bumped into his life. He totally rejects all of his background. And the Bible says he wasted his wealth. He squandered his property. He wasted his life. Let me, do, let me tell you something. Anytime you're in rebellion, it's a waste. Doesn't matter if it's your parents, a friend, or God. It's always a waste. Now let me ask you something. Do you think this father knew he would waste that money? You better believe he did. You better believe he did. 
Do you think he knew that this boy was headed for trouble? Yes, sir. Without a doubt, he knew that. Do you think this father was tempted to send letters to this man that had left, this son that had left? You better believe it. But I want you to know this father realized something that you're going to have to learn and I'll have to learn, especially if we have a son or a daughter. Some people only learn through pain. And you need to know that. You need to know that. Look at this verse, Proverbs 20, verse 30. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Now listen to this part. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change. Anybody want to give a testimony? A painful experience to make us change. We know that. This son's stubborn. His dad knew that he was. He thought he could beat all the odds when he left home. And his life would just be perfect after that. But it didn't. Whether he was leaving in a BMW or a Greyhound, he was designed and planned to go and he wasn't going to stop. And his father knew that. His father knew that. He'll have to go through the school of hard knocks to know what life is really all about. Is it risky? Yes, it is. But it's the only way this kid is going to learn. Some of us are living proof of that in our own lives. Parents, listen to what I'm going to say. I said it before, last Sunday, I'm going to say it again, because I want you to get it. Men and women both, mothers and daddies both, every time we take responsibility for our kids, we take responsibility away from our kids. You understand that? Yes, it's risky. But you have to come to the place where you allow them to do more for themselves instead of you doing it for them. That's what this father is finding out. Let me give you a third thing that's going to happen that parents do, that you need to do if it's going to make a difference. You need to let them reap the consequences of their choices. Boy, this is the tough one. This is a tough one. Luke 15, verse 14 says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He began to be in need. There's always a price tag for rebellion. Always. It has to be paid. The Bible says that whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. Verses 15 and 16 of Luke 15 says, So he went and he hired himself to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, And he was longing to be fed with pods, carob pods, big old black beans that grow on a tree, that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Friend, he's hit bottom. The very bottom. It's hard times. The party is over. He's broke. He's friendless. His pockets are empty. He has an empty life. He has an empty stomach. And he has come to want. 
And that's where they have to go before God can deal with them. Come to want. How do you think his dad felt? Now, I don't know if there was a mother in this family. Jesus Christ doesn't tell us that. How do you think his daddy felt? How, do you, how much pain do you think that he felt? It hurts to see your child suffer. They were, they were embarrassed. This dad was embarrassed about what was going on. Can you get any lower than slopping pigs, especially if you're a kosher Jew? You were unwelcomed in society. You were unclean. You were unwanted. And that's where his son was. Can you imagine what it was like when they went to the synagogue and somebody asked, How's your son doing? When they went out, how do you say when they ask about your son that he's slopping hogs? My goodness. Can you begin to imagine how this daddy felt? Every report and every word that came back about what was going on was like turning a knife in this daddy's chest. Every time. You just want to die. Want to die. They're embarrassed. Let me tell you something else. His dad felt guilty. You ever felt guilty about what your children are into? He felt guilty. Parents, listen to me. We make mistakes as parenting. I'll stand at the front of the line. But you're not the only influence in your son or daughter's life. Do you hear me? You can't govern the friends that they're around. You can't govern what they see or what they listen to. And you need to understand, you need to understand there's a lot of influences in their life that you wouldn't have to be there. It's foolish to take all the blame for where your son or your daughter may be. You need to realize that's foolish to take all that blame. Don't you do it. It wasn't all your fault. All the things that you did wasn't your parents' fault either. You need to understand that. We seem to heap a lot of self-imposed guilt on our lives. Let me tell you, parents, you just work with legitimate guilt that God places on your heart, and you'll have all you can handle, okay? Don't take on any of this other stuff. You need to understand, parental responsibility ends when parents' control ends. You get that? That's when you stop it. You no longer can be held accountable. God doesn't hold you accountable for that. Your children have moved on. They're on their own. God will deal with them now. You don't have to carry all that. Even if you were a perfect parent, you might still have kids that rebelled. God was a perfect parent. His first two kids rebelled. Let me tell you something else. He has kids today that rebel. I know one of them. Still goes on. Yes, it's tough on parents. God has something to say. He says, let them go. And then he says, let them make their own mistakes. Let them heap the consequences of the choices that they're making. For a lot of kids, this is the only way they're ever going to learn. 
only way. The great temptation when they hit bottom is for us to go and bail them out or to send them a care package or to float them a check. This father knew better. That was not going to help his son at all. I want to tell you, there are times when only circumstances and events and time will change that child. And if you step in and interfere with it, it'll never change. I know you don't like what I'm saying, and maybe you're not doing what I'm telling you. But I want to tell you, this is God's plan. I didn't make this up. This is His plan. It's tough to let Him go. But you have to do that. God will discipline them with the events and circumstances in their life. Don't short-circuit what God's going to do in their life. When they hit bottom, after they have begun to reap their choices, they begin to learn. Because the father did not intervene with his son, they were able to go to stage two. That's stage one. Stage two is the reevaluation and regret. It has to happen. Look at verses 17 through 18, or 17 and 18 right now. When Luke 15, when he came to himself, this is the prodigal son, he said, I will arise and go to my father. Now he got back in his right mind. That's what is happening. He left his insanity that he had been carrying all alone. Now listen to verses 17 through 19 of that chapter. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. And then verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son, Treat me as one of your hired servants. Did you notice the change in his attitude? When he left, he said, give me. And when he comes back, he says, make me a servant. He's had an attitude change that only God can do. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's what God's been doing in his life. You see that difference in his attitude. It's changed. In this stage of reevaluation and regret, he begins to wise up to some facts that have been happening, some effects that are happening in his life. He begins to put two and two together. What am I doing like this, he's saying. I've made a mess of my life. I'm here slopping these hogs. I don't have enough to eat. I'm being, eating these old beans off this tree that the hogs eat. Goodness. What am I doing here? I've lost my friends. I've lost my money. I've lost food. I've lost it all. And he comes to himself. The Bible says. I heard about a pastor years ago who was preaching on this passage of Scripture. And here's what he said. He said the guy hit bottom. He said, going on, first he sold his coat for food. Then he sold his shirt for food. Then he, showed, then he sold his shoes for food. And then he sold his pants for food. And then he came to himself. Now, I don't know if that's what that really means, but I understand that. 
when he's standing there naked before God, he finally came to himself. That's what's going on. Even my father's servants are living better than I'm living. You begin to have regrets. I'm here in the pig pen. The place stinks. It's the pits. Even my dad's servants do better than I'm doing. Some of your kids, mother, daddy, are not desperate enough yet. They've not hit bottom yet. I can't tell you how far it is. They haven't learned yet. Some seem to learn faster than others. Some have to get hit on the head before they understand. Some of you were like that. Some of us were like that. There's reevaluation and there's regret and then there's repentance. Then there's repentance. He heads home. He don't head home for a change of clothes. He heads home because there's been a change of his heart. And that's where he's headed. He left saying, give me he comes back saying, treat me like a servant. Treat me like a servant. What do parents do when that happens? When God has dealt with your child and he comes home, boy, this is important in this stage, and I want you to get it. During reevaluation, this is where many of us fail. First of all, you pray. You pray. Pray for your child. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you don't give up. Our children are under attack by Satan and the world, and you and I may be the only link that's praying for them. You pray. They're being attacked by the devil. Let me give you a second thing. You commit them to God. You commit them to God. It's comforting to me to know as a father, when I can't handle things with my children, my God can. He's bigger than I am. He's bigger than you are. It's not out of his control, even though it's out of my control. He's still in control. God, here's my children. They're yours. You do with them what I cannot. And then you wait patiently. This is the tough part. Waiting patiently. You wait and you wait. Sometimes it's a long time. Sometimes it may be shorter for others. But there's always a waiting period. You have to go through that. Some of you are there right now in that waiting period for that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter. Don't you short-circuit God right now. Don't you do that. You let God's natural punishment in their life work its way out. Remember, we're talking about a young man is rebelling, saying, I'm getting out of here. And because of this father going through these stages with him, and this father represents God, But I want to tell you something. This father did it right so he could go to stage three. Let me give you stage three. It's the return. The return. How do you handle them when they're returning? Well, how you handle them is extremely, extremely crucial. And you have to do it right. This dad did. Look at Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose. That's this prodigal son that's been out there in the pig pen. He arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now remember, this is the ideal father. He did these three things, the three things that we're to do when they're coming back. Number one, love them faithfully. Love them faithfully. Verse 20 says, 
his father saw him and felt compassion. Remember last week, maybe two times in this, we've talked about compassion. It's love that says, I know everything you've done, and I still love you. I still love you. No matter how far they fall, you and I have to have that kind of love. The love that longs and waits as God deals with their heart. Saying the door is always open for reconciliation. Always open. It's a stubborn love. You love them faithfully and you will not give up. You don't bail them out in advance. You let God do what he's going to do. Because they won't learn the lesson if you do that. But friend, you let them reap the consequences. That's called tough love. And then you let God deal with them until he begins to bring them home. They take the full consequences for their choices that they made. Let me tell you, friend, parent, that's tough. Because it may mean some time in jail. It may mean an unwanted pregnancy. It may mean a drug addiction. And it can mean a lot of other things. And that's tough. But that's out of your control. That's what you give to God. And you're to give to Him. And you must be ready when God gets through dealing with them and they wise up that you're praying and you're waiting and your loving is ready for them. Number two, you accept them unconditionally. Now listen to this. I want you to see it. Verse 20 says, And this father ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a loving picture. That's what we think of and we see when we think of that story. That father running out there with those arms as wide as he could put them, ran up to his son. He didn't wait for that boy to come up on the porch with him. He ran out there a distance where he could see him, and he met him there. But I want you to notice something. He puts no conditions on his love. No conditions whatsoever. He didn't say, you get a shower, get rid of those clothes, have your hair cut, and you get some of the stink off of you, and then we'll talk about this. He didn't do that. He did not do that at all. You remember where this kid's coming from? He's coming from a pig sty. He's been slopping hogs. He's walked several miles. He went in the far country. He's had to walk several miles to get back home. There's a lot of dust in the Middle East, friend. Can you imagine how he felt when his daddy runs up and puts his arms around his son? Goodness. Loving him faithfully. Goodness. Can you imagine that? Father runs out after him. Meets him out there as soon as he can get to him. Unconditional love. And that's where we have trouble. Most of us, if we have a child that goes that way, we don't use or have unconditional love. We put some stipulation to it. Every time. Again, daddies, I'm speaking to you. I've said this before. Love needs to be physical to your children, daddies. You need to pat them on the back. You need to hug them. You need to embrace them. You need to kiss them. They need physical affection from you, daddy. I'm speaking to daddies because we're the hardest to do it. I don't know why we're embarrassed to kiss and hug our own children. Goodness. Let me tell you something else that you might need to know right here. 
Some of you are saying, Kent, you have no idea where my child is. And I can't accept them back. I want you to know, I'd have to lower my standards to accept them back. I can't do that. What they're living in is wrong. Friend, you don't have to lower your standards. That's not what we're talking about. You must understand the difference between acceptance and approval. They're not the same. God tells us in this church, His children, we're to accept anybody in this town. And everybody in this town. That doesn't mean we approve them. We accept them in love. Christ-like love. Learn the difference. And act like it. Jesus accepted everybody. He accepted sinners. That's what all the people around Him accused Him of. He accepted sinners. He accepted them without approving their lifestyle. He certainly didn't approve their lifestyle. You can do the same thing. He ran out and he hugged him. He showed acceptance to his son. I want you to see this. He has shown it to him. By that big old hug he puts around his neck. And about all of that. And then when he brings him in, he begins to practice it. Look at verse 21. And my son said to him, or and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he don't even answer that. The daddy don't even answer that. You're talking nonsense, he's thinking. You're talking nonsense. This son had already practiced this. We read it earlier. He'd been rehearsed it. He'd gone over it and over it again. Let me ask you, daddies and mothers, do you make it easy when your prodigal son comes home or do you try to make it tough on him? What would happen if you go and you grab them and you hug them? Many times a hug from a parent will tell a wayward son or daughter, I'm being accepted back and it makes them easier to confess, here's where I am and where I've been. He's a perfect father. Now let me tell you something. This father didn't have anything to apologize for, but it may be when your errant son or daughter comes back home, you, parent, may have some things you need to confess and apologize for also. Look how this father did it. Third, you need to forgive them completely. Verses 22 and 23, the father tells us about his life. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And then verse 23 says, And bring the fatted calf and kill him, and let us eat and celebrate. I want to tell you something, friend. God doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out. He rubs it out. You don't have to live with it when you come to God like this. This father didn't say, I told you this was going to happen. I knew this was what was going to happen. I knew you'd waste your life. He doesn't say that. When this son comes home, that's the last thing that he needed. He'd already got a sermon out in the pig pen. He didn't need one from his daddy. He didn't need a second sermon. He'd already got it. Parents, that's what we want to do, don't we? We need to give them one, two, or three, or five sermons, maybe. I want you to notice what this daddy did. He said, bring the best robe. The best robe. You know what? In the Jewish family, when you put a robe on a child or anybody else, when you put that robe on them, that robe says you're totally, totally accepted in this family by every member of it. You're restored is what he was saying. You're restored in harmony and fellowship and in right standing with every one of us in this place. 
Notice what else he did. He put a ring on his finger. That ring was a signet ring. It had the family name on it. Let me tell you what it was like. It was like a credit card. It means that now every wealth that this family shares and has is at your disposal. He does that to his son. It's like an American Express. My resources are your resources, he's saying. Would you do that to your kid if he had blown everything and he come back in repentance? That's complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. You know what most of us want to do? When our child comes back, if he's been through all that, we want to begin to manage his life. You've already proved you can't handle money. You've proved you can't do this. So we're going to start doing it for you. And let me tell you something. That's what errant children want. Do you know that? Do you understand what this man was saying, the young boy that had left his father? He wanted to come back as a slave because he wanted somebody to tell him what to do so he wouldn't have to think for himself anymore. This daddy says, you're not going to be a slave. You're a son. You're going to learn to be responsible in everything. You're going to grow up. I'm going to give you this, these things that you're to be accountable for. Do you know that's where most of our young people who have run off and got into all kinds of problems will end up in some kind of cult because the cult will say, follow us, we'll tell you what to do. You won't have to think for yourself anymore. Amen. That happens all the time. You see that on campuses and everywhere else. You're going to grow up, his dad says. You remember there was an older son. You know the older son got two-thirds of the inheritance. He just got a third. Because he was the youngest. The younger son left home in rebellion, but he came back in repentance. Older son stayed home. As far as I know, he stayed in repentance till he died. He still in re- he stayed in anger, unrepentant, rebellion to his daddy. Story places the focus on the son. But I want to tell you something. Focus is on the father. (laughs) On the father. Oh, the son did a lot of right things. But oh, that father, he made it what it's supposed to be. Now I want to talk to you. Get your mind back over here where we live and out of the Middle East. Right where you're sitting on that pew. I want you to listen. We've all made mistakes. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. All of us have done that. And the Lord has laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, the iniquity or the sin of us all. We've all done that. We've all been prodigal. We've all said, God, I want to be my own boss. That describes me. It describes you if you're going to be honest before God. Because we insist on living our life the way we want to live it, that's an attitude of rebellion, and the Bible calls that sin. Rebellion causes all kinds of problems. You'll have worry and guilt and failure and bitterness and fear and depression, and the list goes on. You'll have trouble in your marriage. But when we turn from that rebellion 
come in honesty and sincerity and say, God, I blew it. I confess, I blew it. This is what God does. He gives you a second chance. Just like this father in this prodigal son story. Oh my goodness, that's the good news. Luke 15, 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. The story has a happy ending. But for some of you, the jury's still out. For some of you, the jury is still out. You have children, and you haven't yet realized in their prodigal lifestyle, there's nothing you can do to change them. You need to let God deal with them, and for God to deal with them, you've got to back out the picture. But I'm speaking to some people sitting here who still live in a home, in a relationship or whatever, and you're a prodigal. You still want to run your life. It's respectable to come to church, show up, make an appearance, but the bottom line is, God, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm not going to stop. And I want to tell you that attitude is sin, and it causes all kinds of problems. And I want to tell you something. If you belong to God, your Heavenly Father will put enough pressure on you that you cannot stand it after a while. You won't be able to stand it. You'll cry for mercy. But if you can stand it and you're still going on, my friend, you need to come to the Father and ask Him to forgive you and save you. And save you. Goodness. Some of you have kids that are breaking your heart. Saying it's nobody's business but mine. And you've listened to that. You've listened to that. And then some of you may be sitting here as children, as sons and daughters, and you've got that kind of attitude. I just want you to understand that when you have that attitude that I can do what I want to do, I want you to know you're affecting some more people, especially those that love you. You're affecting them. You don't have that right to do what you want to do and live the way you want to live because God placed you in connection with some other people and it affects them just as it affects you. You don't have that right to do what you want to do. I close with these two things that I see. There on your outline. You can be outwardly rebellious and at the same time have a tender heart that God will work with and he'll draw you if you'll obey him. Or you can be as close to a spouse or parents that you want to be and be very, very far from God. And it looks all right on the outside but it's nothing. It's nothing at all. I want you to know if you're a prodigal, God's the only one that has a plan to bring you home. The only one. I'm probably speaking to some grown men, some grown women in this church. Adults, by whatever 
standard you want to apply, that you know you're prodigal. And I want to tell you, you start home and he'll run to meet you. Just like that daddy did. He'll run to meet you if you let him. Let me ask you to stand. We're going to have our invitation. I'm praying that God will speak to you. I don't know where you are. Maybe not even where we've talked about this morning. But God may be speaking to you one way or another. And I want to invite you this morning to do business with Him. I want you to say, God, I'm not going to say no any longer. I'm going to obey you. If you're still under the roof of your parents and you have a rebellious attitude that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to tell you, God's speaking to you this morning. Maybe you're an adult and you have a rebellious attitude towards your Heavenly Father. Would you this morning confess? Would you come to yourself, come to your senses, and then come home? Would you do that? Father, this morning in this place, May your Holy Spirit speak to every heart.